Welcome to another edition of What's New in Wagyu. Again, it's me, Stephen Wolf, as your lead anchor, and today we're going to have Lane from the Butcher Shop. Uh, we've been trying to do this podcast now. I've recorded it four times before adding Lane to it. Um, it's going to be on feed. Everybody asks me questions all the time on feed, so I figured we'd correlate them down and let Lane have some input because he sees the backside of it once they hit his butcher shop. And I will tell you kind of the important things on feeding, you know, because each animal has its own its own needs and, and how to fulfill them the best way possible. So, Lane, do you have anything interesting to say off starting off? I do, but it's completely off of bovine. Oh, sweet. Okay. So, <laughs> not only does Steve and I raise the Wagyu... We also raise heritage pigs. Yep. We raise chickens for meat. And turkeys. And turkeys. Chickens for eggs. I mean, we we have a lot of uh, animals that we take care of. We tried to take care of some bunnies once. That didn't work out. No, bunnies are a different <laughs> animal. And we got, sh- we got sheep. And we do have sheep. So, like I say, we're pretty self-producing in what we have for our, our meats. And we have bees for honey but the other day i went to the freezer and i thought you know i'm i'm gonna have a pork roast and i got this pork roast out and we cooked it and we made gravy and all the fixings and it was just absolutely wonderful and so i gave steve a call the next day i said you know one of the most important things that i have come to to realize is the feeding properly of these animals and every time no matter what it is we eat whether it's beef or pork or lamb everything is just absolutely wonderful and most of that has to do with the feeding would you agree Steve yeah you know genetics only takes you so far genetics give you the potential and feeding's kind of how you express that early potential. And feeding doesn't start uh, 60 or 90 days away from from butcher. I mean, we have to feed these animals. We have to, from the time they're weaned, we have to monitor them and feed them what they need at that stage of life. And as they go out of that stage and into the, from the bone, for the, from the skeleton development to the muscle development to the final finish of fat and marbling components, it's all different and you have to pay attention because it's a developmental process. Isn't that right, Steve? You know, and that's the big misconception with a lot of people in feed. They think they can take an animal, pull it off the pasture, put it in a feed lot, and give it grain for 120 days. And you, you can do that. I don't recommend it, but you can do it. But Steve, most of these guys out there, they aren't, they aren't playing at uh, 120 days. No. They're playing the 30-day rule, well, the 45-day rule, the 90-day rule, and very few will go to 120 days. You know that as well as I do. Well, and here's the other problem. They don't even count their days appropriately. So, you know, just just so everybody's aware, when you take an animal and you put it in a feedlot, you're going to have 7 to 10 days. They're not going to want to eat. They're going to eat a little bit, pick here and there. They're not going to consume the full ration for those days. So you can't count that. And when you change between a grower and a, and a finishing ration, you have another 7 days of non-optimal eating. So... I know guys that tell us, they come to our butcher shop, they tell us we've had these animals on feed for a year. The reality is, is they probably have only had them on full feed for three, four months. And the other problem, like this summer, Steve? Oh, yeah. We had an extremely hot summer. Yep, and we pulled all of our rations back because of it. But most people don't. But what they do is they stop eating. Oh, yeah. You and know, they start drinking. And that and they consume more liquid than they do feed. And that affects that affects the whole program. We very rarely kill Wagyu between June and August. 
even later than that, like like October is probably the earliest I'd ever want to kill Wagyu here in Idaho. So those guys that have a 45-day feeding program, you minus the days that at yep. the first of it, you minus those days in the hot summer two or three weeks. Anything over 90 degrees, the, they tell you that your animal will not eat an optimal amount of ration if it's over 90 degrees. So you add that, and then you go into September, and they want to kill it first of October. They've had half the feed. Yeah, and, and here's the problem. They're expecting something they're not going to get back. And, and it's their fault. And it shows. Yep. And then they're upset because their animals aren't didn't do as well as they thought. But but some of that's genetics, and you, you know that, and so do I. Uh, we kill a lot of Wagyu for other people. And I can definitely usually tell you where they came from based on how they look. Yeah. And, and the worst part is, is they sell these animals to new members that aren't educated in feeding or let alone owning cattle, and then they get a bad product. Not not because they didn't try hard, mainly because they didn't know no better. And that's what these, this website's about, or this podcast, podcast is, all about. is about, is trying to help educate people. So maybe a little different way of thinking, maybe thinking more on the long long term rather than a short term because if they think the long term they're going to realize that in dollars and cents oh man and when they shortcut themselves it affects them seriously in the financial well and the, the sad part is too is when you sell a wagyu to someone because we do get a lot of animals that are killed and go to another person that one person bought them and they show up and they pick them up and they're so excited and me and Lane look at each other knowing that the product is not nearly as finished as it needed to be. And you can't talk to those folks because it's not fair for your client. No. But when they call and complain, you can have a chance to educate them and educate them in a way that it doesn't uh, disparage the people they bought them from. And here's an important thing, and, and this is important to us, especially owning the whole process. We don't ever want someone to come to our butcher shop and pay for us to do the job and somebody else to come get it and then us badmouth them. That's not it's not how we do business. No. You would hang me up on my toes. Oh, man. It would be a bad day. But, but here's the problem, guys. So let's start at the beginning. The number one question I get, how do you guys end up with such high embryo rates? I get that question all the time. It is not uncommon for us to be in the high 30, grade one conventionals. 41, we've had a 50-day, one cow, 50 grade one embryos. And I would say this, just being the layman here, right? I would say nutrition is the number one um, factor in being able to produce that kind of result. And a lot of people don't get this, but my donor cows, and Sean cusses me for it a touch, are always on the top 25% of where they actually should probably be. We, we, we definitely feed our animals effectively, but I, I do like a heavier cow. I like a cow that I can't see her ribs. I like a cow that when I look down the back of her, she looks nice and straight. She's squared off and everything's filled. I'm not saying we want her so she's so fat you can't you can't work her, you can't get a calf out of her. But I do I do want a cow that's on the top end of that of that BMI schedule. Right? Body index, you know, I, I like five fives. I like fives. I really like sixes. Um, Sean hates them at sixes. The problem with, with what we have when we take stuff to Sean is they come home to us closer to sevens and eights, and then i got to go on diet. And yeah, they come back to us ooh. a lot better than we send them in. Yeah. But yeah. but we deal with that, but it's... But, but that's a good thing, right? He's feeding them appropriately. He's making sure they're gaining weight. He's making sure that I'm getting great production numbers. And I'll tell you right now, I'd, I'll, take it. I'll take it any day. I'll take a six, seven coming home any day. Uh, especially with the numbers we get. But here's the deal. So two things. You have to remember this very important lesson with your cows. A cow has three main needs in her life. She has the sustainability of her own self. She has the sustainable of a calf if she's got one. 
and then she's got reproduction. Those are the three things she's got to keep track of. So if you short her when she's lactating, you are now going to put her behind for when we breed. And here's the problem most of people have, and I, and I don't say this to, out loud a lot. If you're just putting cows on grass and you don't know the feed value that they're consuming each day, you are wrong. And we, I go out and we look at our pastures. Constantly. We constantly check our pastures. But when I'm out there and I'm looking, I don't have the eye that Steve has. But I do notice something all over the pastures. We've got cows, we've got grass, and we've got mineral and vitamin tubs. And clover. And Yeah. Because we need, we need protein. So that's the biggest thing. You know, a lot of people, especially when you get down south, your grass isn't near as nutritious as mine. Idaho is in, in the circle. Some of the highest priced calves in the country every year come out of Idaho, Wyoming, Montana for a reason. We have good summer grass. We have the ability to drop a regular cow, an Angus calf, in January and sell a 700, 800 pound wean calf by this time. I know because we do it. So our nutrition in our grass is very good. That doesn't stop me from knowing all the species we have, treating our weeds, taking care of those. But here's the big one. My cows have a breed mineral in front of them year-round. Year-round. And, and I don't care. Like People are like, oh, that's so expensive. I don't care. And it's a windfall for the meat shop, right? Oh, man. I get all those big tubs, yep, and I can put bones in them and meat scrap and stuff, and I don't have to go and buy those big <laughs> garbage, cans. garbage cans that cost 60 bucks a piece. So it's a win-win. And it is, but here's the deal, and I don't care which, which company you're going to go with. I think that most companies have a decent product. But you have to be able to say, yes, my cows need this, and it's worth the money paid. And I, I fed loose mineral. We feed loose mineral. We feed tubs, we feed salt with mineral, we see we feed salt plain. Like we do a little bit of it all. Pretty much what we can get a hold of and we can reasonably bring in we use. And what I've noticed, Steve, is the cow knows what they need. Yep. And they'll go to the specific yeah. lick or tub or whatever. And 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 here's the deal. Me and Lane will drop off mineral tubs in June and they won't touch them. They won't touch them and then all of a sudden September comes and they're all gone. You know, and that's just how it is. Like, the cow's going to come and eat when she's ready. I use multi-men. I believe in multi-men. I think that anytime you work your cows, if you're going to have them in a shoot and you're going to have them in a couple times a year, you should probably be using it. A lot of people disagree with that, but, it, you know, it's part of our program. That's part of my shop protocol, and it is what it is. Is part of the nutrition health of the animals to make sure that they get the right warming oh, at the right definitely. time of year? Definitely, and, and, and that's another thing, guys. Like, a lot of people, they don't. I know people that have used ivermectin twice a year for 20 years and have never changed anything in their worming schedule. The problem with this is you're going to have worms. So, Isn't that the one that goes, treats from the mouth to the No, no bone, that, that's or? the one that gets that sprayed the, on. That's sprayed on, yeah. okay. So we run a spring long-range program right before they go on grass and then they get valbazin in the fall right before right as it gets cold we want to have some snow on the ground when we give valbazin in case anything gets shed in in the cow um that way it hits the snow and is dead that's why we do it when we do it um we do ivermectin somewhere in the middle and we don't have cows with flies. We don't have cows that don't gain. We have cows that are healthy, ready to go, and capable of eating and gaining enough nutrition anytime they need. And we do that with our feeder cattle too. Every yep before as soon as the cows come. So the difference is, we don't need to use long range on our feeders. They're not out on grass. So we bring them in. We hit them with uh, usually an ivermectin of some kind. They get all their shots. They get all the the year the yearly shots that we run. And then on top of it, they'll get ivermectin a couple times during the feeding cycle, and we do those twice. Um, when they do come in the feedlot, they get hit with valbazin because we want to make sure that they're clean from mouth to rectum. And 
we have great gains. You know, our non-Wagyu cattle are somewhere in the three, four pounds, five pounds a day, depending on the calf. And our Wagyu cows are one to two pounds on grow ration. And then we try to pull them back down to about a pound, pound and an eighth a day on our finish ration. And, and here's the deal. So I like to break the cows into three groups of animals. You have the cows, you have your feeders, and then you have your bulls. And we treat our bulls way different than we treat our cows. Because our bulls, they're one, they're lovable and they like to be around people, so they're easier to deal with for the most part. Um, but we have them on a different regiment, right? So a cow, we've got to remember, she, her goal is to get pregnant, have a calf, raise the calf, get pregnant again, while suckling a calf. So her nutritional needs are going to go from uh, maintenance, which she can mostly do here in Idaho on grass. Uh, we do leave some protein tub out. We do supplement if we need to. Um, give or take, you figure that she'll eat about, oh, about 100 pounds, give or take a day. 50 to 100 pounds is what she should be consuming every day um, in, in forage. And I say that, and you're going to go, oh, no, they eat like 30 or 40. Uh, most of our cows consume on a daily average. That's how we justify our hay flaking and all that in the winter at 100 pounds a day. On the butcher side of it, if you guys only think they're doing 40 pounds a day, you need to come out when we're butchering. You need to, to slice open that... Um, Oh, it slips open the abomasin. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and, then, and then And then dump out the paunch and see how much is in that paunch. Usually around 100 pounds. 100 to 140, depending on... How much water they've consumed right, that day. Right, but there's a lot of water in that, there, right? There too. is, but, 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 but there's, there's probably, a ton of grass in there. There's probably 100 pounds of, of digestible stuff that they've eaten for the day right yeah like at different stages of consumption there's probably a hundred pounds in that gut and and that's what we judge it off of 100 pounds minimum 100 pounds minimum and you don't you know a lot of people they're gonna say 40 and i know they're gonna and i'm gonna because that's the national average it's what they put on a piece of paper if you haven't gone and seen how much grass is being consumed it, it you don't know and the thing is steve when there's less grass there's only 30 or 40 pounds of grass yeah. in there those animals are not healthy and we have problems from day one from slaughter to hanging to any aging we do to cutting and there's a there's a vast difference steve and lane gets to see everybody's herds like he he gets to see how we do things he gets to see how the neighbors down the road do things and them neighbors and those neighbors and neighbors. Lane sees everybody's cows. And Lane asked me a couple months ago, it's probably been a year, why do we do so, why does it seem like we're doing so much more than everybody around us? And the answer is, look at our beef compared to everybody around us. Look today, like uh, those four that we did today. They Beautiful were a whole. Cow. Holstein, uh, no, no, Longhorn, um, and Angus, and something else. There was there wasn't a Holstein in these ones. Okay, they look black and white. They it, look it, they looked Holsteinish. The, yeah, right? it's the Longhorn. They're about okay. Um, a quarter Longhorn, give or take. I guess their moms are Black Angus Longhorn crosses. But they were beautiful cattle. Yep. And they looked nice. They were fed nice. Their bodies were full. Their loins were full. Their ribs were big, and I mean, they were beautiful cattle. And there was even one that was pretty high strung. Uh, she was the heifer of the group. They they usually are, but and even she looked great. So I mean, it's it's nice to see good husbandry but, but out amongst. That's coming the from a guy around. who takes pride in what he does. And he's a carpenter. A uh, contractor. Con yeah, he's Conch. a carpenter. Yeah, it sounds a contractor, but yeah. he, he got, no, but anyway, but no, he's a, but he he's a builder, yeah. and he's a very elite builder. He yeah. takes care of very, and he learns, and he practices, and he 
gets better and he gets better all the time. For years and everything ago, he does. yeah, four years ago, his beef didn't look like this. Nobody listens. He listens. <laughs> but they him, look yeah, great now. And me and him had a conversation. Uh, we when we first did his first ones, I was like, "Hey, Brian, let's let's talk about this for a minute. <laughs> we need to do a few things a little different." And and you'll take the same and he buys from the same person every year, his nephew. So these animals are coming from the same place, same genetics every year, and we've been able to really help him get a lot better product just by doing things the right way. And and people people are like, Oh, the right way, what is that? The right way is the way that works for you. Cause I'm gonna tell you right now, if you're not where I live and have access to the feeds I do it's not going to turn out the same way. But the basics are the same. Basics are all the same. You got to get a, a a food source that has value and nutrition in it. You've got to supplement with minerals, vitamins, and those kind of things. And you've got to decide correctly what your ration's going to be. Through the different stages of life. Is, Correct. Is that the basics? That's really the basic of it. And and we do some weird stuff. And I tell people this all the time. So I've I've really come to enjoy the blood test for pregnancy, right? I, I love it. it. Because it's quick, it's simple, it's easy. Well, if i got to draw blood, do you know what else I usually have them do along with it? I usually have them pull a vitamin mineral panel. Yeah, you do. So that I know how much what the vitamin and minerals look like. And then I take it, and there's a range in there they're going to give you of acceptability, and I cut it in half. And I only want to be on the top half of that range. If I'm not on the top half of that range, I feel like I am nutriently devaluing these animals. So, Steve, all the things that we do, right, with our herd and stuff, for a lot of people out there, they, they've got to be saying, I can't afford all that. You can't afford not to. Or f- f- minerals or this or that. Is there... And they justify shortcutting them. How on the so, on that end, on the money end of the spectrum where they're collecting the money from their, their efforts, how much is that going to penalize him on that? So I will tell you right now, because we do so many other people's stuff... Um, we make about 30% more than everyone else that comes through our shop. So everybody who would follow, well... Follow basic principle, right? Follow basic principle. You can't guarantee them a 30% better no. better outcome, but you can sure know that they're going to increase their outcome a lot better than where it currently well, well, is, well, correct? Well, and, and longevity alone, right? So here's the deal, Lane. I was telling, me and Sean talk about this off and on. Um, What is three extra embryos worth? Three extra embryos worth? So so say you've taken care of your cow really well like we do. Mm -hmm. What is, so the average in America, the average number of embryos collected on Wagyu cattle is 8 to 12. That's the average, right? So three better would be 25 to 30%. 25 to 30%. Now here's the deal, guys. My red, my red embryos, we sell for thousand fifteen hundred bucks. My black ones, we sell for right at about eight hundred dollars. So if I got three extra embryos by spending an extra ten percent, right? Mm-hmm. I'm gaining thirty percent, spending ten percent more, so I'm gaining twenty percent, and it doesn't take that much more work. Same principle on meat. Same principle on meat. I bet you with our carcass weights and the quality of our carcasses that we're probably ahead 30 to 40% on people. Now, here's the problem, and I'm going to tell people this right now. If you are buying your feed pre-milled, brought to you in a bag, you will go broke. Okay, so how? You have to be able to find commodity. You have to be able to buy either your corn or your rolled corn or your barley or whatever you're going to feed. Call and find yourself a nutritionist. He'll help you build a ration. 
And then you you can buy that ration pre-done and dropped off at your house. But if you're going and buying the name brand stuff like Purina Stuffer or Stalker Grower from Purina or or a Vitafirm has a growing one, I'm not sure what they call it. If you're if that's the way you're feeding, I don't see how you can be profitable. Okay. So now it's finding source. Finding source. How does the guy just learning to do this? How how do we help him? That's, what what rocks does he have to turn over to help so, him in that? So if you search. have a local feed mill that mills their own feed, that's a good place to go. I could buy Claude's feed lane, and we could probably make a decent profit. Okay. Because he buys it from the local farmers. He blends it together in his little mill, and he puts it in this little... You know, he'll sell it to me in a commodity cart if I want, or he'll sell it to me however a tote, like like, like yeah. however we want. Like, if we wanted to do that, we could do that, and we'd be okay. I know a lot of guys that buy feed. Hell, we, we sell feed to a few guys. We bag it for them. They come and pick it up, or I drop it off, and it works for them because... I can source it cheap enough to, re- to to sell it to them at a good price. And I'll be honest, we don't make any money on it. We don't make any money no. when we sell feed to, to like, like if we go, if we sell it to carpenters, right? Yeah. We're, we're not making any money on that because... No, we're helping it, them right. with become better well, and have in access, the breed, right? And have, have access to stuff that... Heck, let's think about it. They're in Jackson. Yeah. How many wheat fields did you see when we were in Jackson last time? Not a whole lot. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen one. <laughs> so it's high enough in elevation, they don't have a long growing season. And their the grass pasture starts like May and it yep. ends in sept- end, middle of, end of September. I Col- mean, Colby's that's been, it. Colby's been posting pictures. I think he'll get through October. Maybe. If it don't snow. <laughs> but that's not that's not normal. No, it's not. And it's not normal. And And the big thing is that everybody has to remember is you have to be able to find people to help you. It's networking. It's all it is. But here's the deal. It's like I was telling I was telling Lane a couple weeks back. I wouldn't make feed for just anyone. I barely like to make it for myself. Right? Like like it's one of those things that it's time consuming because I have to make it a certain way with a certain amount of blends in it. To make it work and I hear people from time to time they go oh I have the same feed it comes in the same bag and I start laughing and I go sure it does here's the deal we use no subpar additives in our feed my feeds that we use are whole grained feeds that are milled I don't use soy soy creates estrogen if you've knocked a set of nuts off of a, of a steer and you give him a bunch of estrogen, do you think he's going to grow appropriately? Probably not. It's it's one of those deals, right? Like, people are out there, they're like, oh, you know, I saw it, I saw it one day, Colby calls me and said somebody thinks they have the same feed he does, and I started laughing, and I go, what's in his? And he starts naming a list of things that are in it, and I was like, yeah, we, we would never use any of that. Like the corn, everybody uses corn, right? But our corn percentage is so small. Yeah, we. I, I bet you that we're less than five percent corn in any of our rations, including silage. Because yeah. we have silage, we have corn, we have barley, we, we have barley, yeah. we have. We have access to those things, and, and and the big thing is, is we feed a lot of good hay, a lot of good alfalfa, a lot of good all year long. Yeah, and that's the and that's the thing everybody forgets is is these animals need this nutrient. So so let's go back to that cow. So she's. She's trying to get pregnant, right? You've just mm-hmm. weaned this calf, and you got a bull in with her, and she's trying to put on weight because you've let her get sucked down. I use the only time we let calves get sucked down during the lactation period is when they're too fat. If I have a cow that's so big, and we she's gotten out of control on us because she's just an easy keeper, which which we have some of those. I have one that carries embryos every year, and she is a bottomless pit. She will eat all day long, and I don't know if she ever sits and chews her cud because I never see it. Um, the only time she chews her cuds is when she's late trimester pregnancy, and that's just because she ran out of room. 
and she's out there right now and looks like a hippo. And she does. She's as wide as she is tall. Like she's just a big girl. And but she takes an embryo every year. Do you want to know why? Because we never let her get to a point where she's not capable of getting pregnant. And she takes an embryo every year. Yep. It gives us a great calf, a great mother. She yep. mothers everybody else's calves. And, and with our red cow, you know, our reds, uh, she usually has around a six hundred pound weaning weight on that calf, and that's huge. That 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 calf's getting a ton of milk, and everyone else gets a suck too. It's not just her calf; it's anyone else who can get close enough that she's just a good girl. But that's the thing, right? So we're trying to get this cow bred. If we're in that lower, you know, we're at a two in the body condition score, we're going to struggle a bit. If she's low on zinc or, you know, a few of the other macro minerals and vitamins, she's not going to take. It's just like a person. If they're not healthy, they're not going to get pregnant. So the goal is, is, you know, I like to, to say 100 pounds a day. 100 pounds a day is what she should be consuming. In that 100 pounds a day, she needs to meet all of her nutritional needs. Do, you know, the only way I know how to do it perfectly is feed them out of a mixer, but we don't do that. So what I do is, is we, we give her all the availability to minerals she can have. We give her multi-min so she's already up on top of her minerals. And then we make sure that she rotates through pastures effectively. But here's the big one. She needs to be up walking and grazing because that's her job. She's a cow. And then when she gets pregnant, She's going to start growing a baby. So the two most important, the most important time is that first trimester. And we don't have to worry about her eating. No, no, she eats plenty. Yeah. But, you know, and, and with her, she has plenty of space. And that helps us, right? The scary part is when we get into that late second, early third, well, that calf's gaining a pound a day. That's wild. That last three, two weeks, that last two weeks of third trimester is scary because you can screw a cow up so quick. You can have a calf so big, you'll never get it out. And, and the problem comes in is we need to manage that cow. We need to manage that cow and, and make sure she's not too fat. She's, you know, I, I tend to pull them back if we can. We have in winter months, so we're feeding these animals. We tend to pull feed back a little bit as they start, get, you know, two weeks out, three weeks out. And then we pour it to them after the calves hit the ground. Because then they need the extra... So... For milk production. 20%. They need a 20% boost in nutrition. I don't care how you're going to give it to them. And they have to recuperate. And they have to recuperate, right? So that mom has had birth. She's lactating. She's trying to keep her own body weight. And here, it's January, so it's cold. It ain't like we're doing this in the middle of summer months. It's cold. It's miserable. And, you know, by the time March comes, they the goal is to, that they're not losing too much weight. So that we can get them out on grass in April, right? That that's the goal for that cow. That that's what we're gonna do now. Let's change hands and talk about these wean calves. So we take these calves. We just weaned, right, Lane? We yep. weaned what a week ago. Mm-hmm. The bull calves all go into a pen. The steers go into a pen. The heifers go into a pen. And then they're gonna ball for a week, if not longer, which they're not going to eat. And if you're real cool and smart in your young bullpen you're going to leave an older bull because he's going to go up and eat and it'll get those calves to start eating you know cows are competitive animals they're going to eat as long as somebody else is eating you know so you get them through weaning now you got to decide what you're going to do for them you want to develop bulls so when you develop bulls you don't want to pour grain to bulls because you're going to soften their feet you're going to not make they're not going they're going to melt away if you sell them if you pour the grain to them so you need a high forage, high protein diet. High roughage, high protein. And and you develop your bulls that way. That way that they're they're not fat, they're not soggy, they're willing to work when they're done. Okay, you're saying high high roughage and high protein. High protein. Tell me what you consider good bull feed. Um, bull feed's hard, you know. A lot of the times we're feeding them a lot of alfalfa. Uh, corn silage is always in there because it's a good roughage. It's a good way to balance that pH and that rumen. And it's sweet. So and they it's sweet and they'll, and eat, they, they'll eat it, right? Yeah. But we don't want to feed them much grain. Like, like they they don't need to eat. They don't need to eat grain. Yeah, we're not. We're not. Like if I want to raise a big show bull and I really want to wow folks, we'll put them in the steer pen. 
and we'll pound the grain to them, and then when they're done showing, they're all but worthless. And we won't we won't show a non-working bull. And I won't show a non-working bull, so you don't ever have to worry about me doing that. But that's the truth of it. Most of these show bulls, they need a time to come home. They usually have to go to a dry lot. They usually have to thin down before they're even capable of breeding. So don't do that to your bull. Or they go into collection and yep. never come out of, never and a cow again the rest of their life. Nope. That, and that's the, the sad thing about some of the Wagyu deal is, is I know guys that have overfed their bulls so bad that them bulls are not capable of breeding cows to pasture any longer. They live at the semen collection facility. It's just the way it is. Um, the problem is, is like, say you do overfeed a bull like that. When that bull hits those cows, he, he can't be too big because you don't want to hurt cows. But here's the biggest thing you don't ever want to happen. You don't want a bull so fat that he, he mounts a cow and she falls and breaks his pecker. You don't want it because he's done. Game over. And you don't want him so fat if she falls, he breaks a leg or hurts a knee or hurts a foot. Or hurts her. Or hurts her because now you've just lost your real value because these everybody talks about these bulls. The real value in your herd is always your cows. I would trade every single bull I have for the right cow. It's just the fact. Even that, Hagrid. Yep. And that and he's our baby. Yeah, and, and he's, he's a bull that I've halter broke. He breeds 150, 200 head a year. Like, he is our our workhorse of an animal right now. Uh, he breeds more animals than anybody I know uses a bull on. And he does it usually for cycle. It's not all 150 in one day, right? Like, we don't throw them all together. But we break them into manageable 30, herds, 30 animal herds. We don't sink the animals. We let them come into natural heat. And he usually gets them covered. You know? He bred 150 animals this year. So... And guess what? He's still working. He, he he doesn't get to end work until the end of the month when we bring him home and let him rest all winter. And, and with bulls, that's important. That rest period is important. We bring our bulls home, and usually from about December, January 1st through April, they get to hang out and play in a big pasture and roll around hay bells and straw bells and just be bulls. So how does that work with nutrition? So when we bring them home, you've got to make sure because they're always light. So we figure we're going to lose 300 pounds during a breeding season. Hagrid's close to 400 usually by the time he gets home. He's he, pretty lean. He's pretty lean. And we're going into winter, right? So we have to feed a little more. So, so our working adult bulls, they do get some grain when they get home for 30 days. But we don't short them on minerals. Ever. Ever. And, and everywhere these bulls go, there's mineral tub. Like, like, that's the thing nobody realizes. During breeding, I'm still dropping tubs. I the, He's eating the same breed-up mineral as the cows. I'm a huge fan of Vitafirm product and Crystal X product. Crystal X had a breed-up 28 that I absolutely love, but they have a, a breed-up 30 now. It's, it's as good. I think it's still a comparable product. I haven't loved it as much because it's new. I'll see in two years. Give me three years of data on it, and I'll tell you if I love it. The big thing is, though, is them bulls have to have all the availability that they can get. And and if you're really good, you'll give them some flax tubs because that'll bring their semen count up. Okay, so Steve, if we're doing everything, the basics right, we've got the nutrition right, we've got the health care right, we've got the vaccinations right, we've got the warming right and things. And what happens if our animal isn't responding so you've got a problem then uh, with the animal itself usually, or the animal usually, itself, the, or? usually an injury problem will cause that or or you've got a stomach issue you've got here's the thing um, cattle having a compartmentalized stomach like they do you can screw stuff up real quick think about this a cow eats well clips the grass maturates the grass then they swallow it. It goes in the. It goes and sits there. They regurgitate it. They chew it again. Then they swallow it, and it goes into a vat fermentation pit, essentially, kind of like uh, our stomach. It has acid and all that. Cows do not receive genetic nutrition for the most part from the grass. 
they have a microorganism bacteria that's that's produced within their rumen that that their body consumes through their digestion so you're really farming microorganisms when you're feeding cattle and that's the thing that everybody has to get straight you can feed them all the grass they want but if you're not keeping the microorganisms straight in their gut you're in trouble because they're not able to break it down the cellulose down consume the bacteria in their small and large intestine and gain protein and nutrition from it that's why why when people just load their cows up on LA 200, you see me shake my head. Okay, so like human human digestion, right? Works way and different. It, and it, I know, but it, but if people aren't digesting well and stuff, there's things they can do. Probiotics, right? Yeah, probiotics. Yeah. Is there something that you can do? Most with, of our feed, most of our, our protein tubs, Lane, have amifer in them. And it's tell a, us what a, that it's, is. It's a probiotic. Okay, it's a probiotic. Right. So the probiotics for cattle work the same way yep. as probiotics for humans. Other than it takes longer for that cow to build flora and fauna than it does a human. Yeah, but that it's helping them get that yep. digestive bacteria and things working the way it's supposed to effectively. work. Effectively. I think, you know, when we said that there could be a problem, I always think back of this last summer when we, we killed those uh, animals. And each one had probably a 40-pound ball of twine oh, yeah. in their rumen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, pick your garbage up. Don't let them eat plastic. Stupid. Because that rumen, it, it just wallet, wads it up. Or, or, okay, if you have a place and there's a bunch of metal around, clean it up. Or staple, a fence staple. We seen that. We seen, uh, They had a bull come or in. Fe- or hay twine. Oh, man. Pick it up and it throw, up and it, throw away it away and get it away from your cattle. And do not put it by the fence because they'll grab it through the fence with their tongue and eat it. They're, they're, they just do it. They're curious creatures. And they can chew it and keep swallowing it. Yep. It's kind of like a game to them. It's kind of like fun, it, it seems to be. It is. And I and don't know how many times we've reached our hand down their throat because we've seen a little bit of yep. string. And we've grabbed the string and we've pulled and we pulled and we pulled and we pulled and 30 feet long later... Yep. We're at the end of the string. And the problem I have with it is, is we police our strings so well. I can't, some of these people, I don't know how their cows are still alive. Unless their cows have learned not to eat strings, that's something that maybe we need to teach ours. Yeah. Because I have one, you know the fat one we talk about, Ginny? She's a string eater. And she won't swallow them though. She'll chew them all up and then wait for you to come grab them. It's it's a game now. I mean, there's, there's those those type of issues, right? Run well, so well. And, 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 and if your cow isn't gaining and you're doing everything that you're supposed to. You need to look at the alternatives and what could be going wrong. And if somebody doesn't have the background that you have in things, do they get a vet involved? Do they? That's what I would do. Okay. I can tell you right now, I can tell you how many strings, how about how much strings in a cow? Only because we've seen it enough times now and I kind of... If you know what you're doing, you can get a stethoscope and you can listen to, to the digestive function of the rumen. And you can, you'll can you tell quick if there's a problem, especially when there's a blockage, because you can hear it. You know, uh, there's parts of the rumen there shouldn't be much sloshing in. And, and when you start hearing sloshing in that, that compartment, you know there's a problem. Okay. You know, and, and so here's the thing, though. You've got to remember, cows only do that when they don't have anything to eat. Right, they're looking for something to eat that's not food, because they're hungry. And I know that there's a drought south of us, and pretty much Colorado South. The problem is, is because of that, we well, and even up here, we had a drought up here all year. We've seen worse looking cows this year coming to the butcher shop than I think we ever have. And if we don't get some good snow this year, we're going to we're be in trouble be next trouble. year. And, and that's the other problem. Like, what do you do What do you do you when you can't afford good forage? In my opinion, if it was me, I'd just sell animals. You know, I, I hate to say it that way, but I'm not willing to short my animals because I'm incapable of paying for my feed. But then you have another problem. You try and make sure that their animal, where they're going, they're going to be well taken yeah, care of, yeah, right? Yeah, that, that's the other problem I have is that um, I I don't just sell to people. I have to verify they're going to somewhere they're going to be utilized and not be mistreated. 
Um, and when I say mistreated, it's a lot different than other people. Uh, we don't hit our cows. We So prime example today. I have a two-year-old, I have a six-year-old, and I have a seven-year-old. And we moved our pregnant cows, we moved pastures today. And we have a road that's right by our north, our far, our far pasture. And I left my two-year-old and my seven-year-old there to make sure the cows went in the gate. If we yelled, hit, and beat on our cows, I would never be able to do that. Because the cows saw them, they turned where they were supposed to, they went into their pasture where they were supposed to, and the only person that gave us trouble was the donkey. <laughs> and that's because he loves my daughter and didn't want to go in the pasture. He just wanted to sit and look at her. It, it, that, but that's that's the reality of it, right? Yeah. You know, you mistreat your animals, and I, and I get that people are like, get, they get frustrated, they get mad. It's no excuse. None. And, and husbandry goes into feeding, you know... I've never met somebody who beats on their cows that feed their cows well. It's just it's just a something I've noticed. It's something that I've put together over the years. We've worked with enough people and seen how they treat their cows and things, and we'll go and help them and things in their shoots and doing the, you know the seasonal work and things. And, and, and let's there's be- very few that don't yell or hit or hot shot or and- whip. And I'm not or, saying there's not a use for a hot shot. Like, I, I believe that the hot shot has its place. But it's not to be used out of anger. And it's not to be used on animals that are just scared. Mm-hmm. Right. A hot shot's meant for an animal that has a problem. Yeah. There's and been we, a couple times where you just about took the hot shot right away and used it on I them. have. Lane's been there when I've used it on people. Ask, ask them how it feels. And here's the problem I have. I am adept with enough veterinary stuff that I tend to handle a lot of veterinary situations in our area. We do. Uh, really bad ones, like setting legs, pinning things, removing giant tumors. Like, like I'm the guy that everybody seems to like to call because I do a better job than most of the vets in the valley. But that's just what it is, Right skills that I've picked up over a lifetime of doing different things. Let's go back to nutrition. But nutrition's hard. Nutrition falls it under. So your bulls, you want to make sure that they're they're gaining when you get them home. You want to get them to a healthy weight because guess what? Most guys only have about four months before they're back breeding again. And and that's important. Now, let's talk about the feedlot deal. So yeah, if I... If, I like to say that a cow is going to eat 20% of its body weight per day in the feedlot. That's what I like to think. About 20% of their total body weight per day in the feedlot. And this is why. We are able to densely pack a ton of calories and a ton of things in a little bit of space. And what we're trying to do in the feedlot is get the optimum amount of gain with the limited amount of acidosis being built in the rumen. Talk about that a little bit. So when you overfeed grain, it creates methane in a cow's stomach. That methane bloats up and then creates an acetate. So that acetate sits in their fourth stomach. And the problem with that is, is their fourth stomach sits up against their liver and their pancreas. And because of that, it heats, gets hot. It'll get 150 degrees and blister pancreas. And that's why a lot of times these livers are yellow and hard and stuff. And have a blister on them. And have blisters yep. because they've, okay. Yeah, okay. so they've created methane because they, they fed an inappropriate buffer, usually. And um, a buffer. Uh, yeah, you can use anything for a buffer. We use silage and, and uh, what do we use mainly? We use straw. So when I say okay. straw, me and you, we're probably talking about different things. We use a, a high-quality barley straw. With head in it still, right? A lot of guys are going to use a wheat straw. It, it's different. It's not the same. It still has a little nutritional value yeah, in it. Yeah, but not but, much. No, but enough that to that, give you a buffer. That's what I need it for. Okay. And a filler, right? We're, we want them to feel full. We want them to feel satisfied so that they're not out eating strings. So in that feed, even though they're eating twenty-five percent of the weight, a lot. What percentage of that is buffer and inert? So we try to get a whole day's worth of nutrients in two feedings. 
it's the reality of it. And, and it could be different based on the pen size, the number of animals that are in it, the size of the animals that are in it. It just changes, right? And, and the amount of the buffer changes based on how much grain we're giving them. If I'm giving them a ton of grain, I've got to give them a big amount of buffer, and I also have to give them uh, some way of, of treating the acidosis that you get. Lane, how often do I ever have Wagyu livers that look great? One in five? One in six? Yeah. So what I do is is I, I like really, really, really nice marbled stuff. I just do. It's just the way I am. And I'm willing to give up a little acidosis at the end to get that extra calorie, the caloric intake in, to get a nicer marbled product that last bit of my feeding. So I'm always playing. I can play the game because I'm educated well enough and I've been around it long enough. I can play the acidosis game and not get screwed. So it's not just a shake at the dice. No, no, it's planned. We do it. And, and I've I've played with the idea, so I'm getting ready to build a new house, and with the new house I'm going to put in a set of specialty feeding pens with it. And I'm going to play with a few things through GrowSafe on average daily gain because it's a scaled feed system and a scaled water system so every time they come to feed they get weighed and every time they come to water they get weighed and we're going to play with pushing these cattle to the edge of acidosis and seeing if i can maintain a high average daily gain for fun and without them actually going into acidosis? Correct. Is that what we're going to Correct. And, and what we'll do is we'll pull blood samples to keep that acidotic level down, the ketones down, and all that good stuff. Well, that sounds exciting. Yeah. It's gonna, I get to learn some more it's, stuff. It's going to be a pain the first time we're going to mess it up bad. And that's, I'll be the honest, the, I've screwed it up enough times that I know what not to do. Now, how many t- times, you know, how many times have we screwed up? And oh, just yeah. Because... And we're going, wow, we're not going to do that anymore. Well, and that's the thing, you know, the best laid plan you have, sometimes it don't work. I mean, we've set some feed stuff up and it, it was a failure. We've set some feed stuff up and it turned out great, but it's so expensive nobody can use it. We've set some feed stuff up that works for us very well and for, for Colby up a Carpenter, you know, a cattle company, that it works great for them. Um, the problem comes in... If you're not experimenting, you're not progressing. And with me, I do everything 1,000 miles an hour, head down. So I'll put in a $30,000 grow safe system in my backyard just to play with it. That's just who I am. Um, I'm the guy that, I'm the type A personality guy that gets one bad situation at a butcher shop and then owns one two months later. Well, we had. More than one, but 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 you get what I'm saying. I like know what like, like saying. the first one, the first one we had, we started looking. By the second one, we had our own place. So, but but that's what people forget, right? Yeah. Like like you, you yeah. don't have to be in a hundred percent. You don't. No, you don't. And and most people don't have the resources that that we do. That you yeah. can do the things that you want, and we understand that. But if we go back. Minus the weighing systems and the water weighing systems and things like that. We're all the way back to... Well, everything starts at a basic nutritional point. The basic nutritional point. And everybody listening to this podcast can do that. And here's the deal. Everybody's expecting me in this podcast to tell you what to feed. I won't do it. Do you want to know why? You need to call your nutritionist that lives around the corner from you and see what you can get in your local area. That's the truth of it. Yeah. Uh, I call a nutritionist. I, uh, that's the truth of it. Where do they find these nutritionists? Um, so you can find them through your university extensions. You can find them at a feed dealership. Like you go to IFA. I know IFA. I think IFA is world, state, United States wide. They have nutritionists on staff. You just have to go and if it was me, I'd call your county extension. Every county in America has one. And they'll be able to give you a list. <clears throat> And that's the big thing, right? They can give you a list that's a good place to start, and then you have to be very specific about your wants and needs. And so that's a great place <coughs> for these new folks or newer folks in the Wagyu game to to start. A yeah. very good starting point. Very good starting point. And, uh, and and there's no don't feel ashamed about it. Heck, I have an I have a nutritionist that comes out that was in, so. 
I am lucky I have a bachelor's degree in plant animal science. It works. I have access to some of the best nutritionists that taught me in college how to do things. And they are now nutritionists. Well, put it this way. Jim set up the early Snake River Farms program, the first F1 feeder in the U.S. So I can call Jim, and he tells me what's new and late and great out there. And we talk about things, and we go through it, and I either take what he has or not. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't, and we come to a happy median. But you have to have somewhere to start. So if you, you've you never done this, don't try to do it like a... Like, don't go ask your neighbor how to feed a cow, please. <laughs> uh, Lane's got a funny story about that one. Yeah, I had a guy that he he's traded so, me pasture for, for feeder. So for and, feeder. and Lane, Lane had moved from the city to the country. Didn't know a thing about animal husbandry and stuff. I said, well, I know I need to, to grain these animals to get them to finish. He says, well, you got to be careful not to give them too much so you don't burn them up. You don't want a real <laughs> hot feed or give them too much grain. I said, well, how much grain should I give them? He said, you should give them a quart in the morning and a quart in the evening. <laughs> and you should be just fine and do that for 45 days before you kill them. <laughs> And so I did that. And I wasn't real happy with the results. <laughs> um, so, you know, we don't know what we don't know. No. But the thing is, is, you can't be afraid to ask the questions. Steve is probably one of the most intelligent guys that knows something about just about everything that I know. And we're driving around, or we're going up to Rexburg, or we're going in the fields or something. And he's always asking me questions. I don't understand this. Can you help me understand? I'm not accustomed to this type of thing in my life. Why do people think this way, or why do people do things that way? Have you heard of such and such, and, and how can we take advantage of it? I mean, there isn't there isn't a single trip, a single time that we go anywhere where Steve isn't asking questions. And it leads me to think, sometimes I have some insight, sometimes I don't, and sometimes it's just a stab in the dark. Well, don't just take a stab in the dark when you're feeding your animals. Find somebody that's knowledgeable, ask questions, learn from their experience, and you'll be successful. And that'll be it for What's New in Wagyu. We'll see you next week. Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Working nine to five What a way to make a living Barely getting by It's all taking and no giving They just use your mind And they never give you credit It's enough to drive you Crazy and you let it Nine to five Ship will come in and the tide's gonna turn it.